We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRunGoods.com. All of the stats, tools, and info that I will be discussing on this podcast can be found over at rickrungoods.com, my in-depth course breakdown, potentially the most uh, in-depth one that I've ever written. I know I said that about LACC, but I might have outdone myself with this one. That will be up on the site first thing tomorrow morning. Uh, and I would recommend checking that out because this podcast is going to be less about breaking down the golf course and more about talking through the betting board uh, and who I think is going to win. So for all of my premium content, including season-long fantasy rings on Tuesday, final DraftKings thoughts on Wednesday, a lot to talk about with this uh, semi-controversial DraftKings pricing. Uh, and any questions that you want to ask me this week, uh, the best place to do that is not on Twitter. It is in that rickrungood.com Discord, and you can get into that by heading on over to rickrungood.com, promo code Andy, just type in Andy in the coupon code uh, when you sign up. That is the most important part if you want to help me out. And we would love to have you as part of the team. All right. Uh, the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool, Hoylake. Um, I already talked a fair bit about the golf course on the episode that I put up on Friday with Steve Bamford. I will say that we recorded that on early Tuesday morning. Uh, and so in the time between Tuesday and now, as I record this on Sunday, 1132 AM Eastern time, I wanted to wait until the Scottish open concluded, um, and get this out just a little bit later, but still, you know, by midday Sunday, uh, I talked with Steve, a, a good bit about the course. And I had a, a general idea of where I would where it was going, but I would say that in this period between Tuesday and Sunday, uh, I've changed my opinion on a lot of things. I have a much better sense about where I think this, how I think this golf course is going to play and what's going to happen in this tournament. Um, and so I will mainly do a little bit about the golf course, a little bit more about the golf course, some things that I don't know if I did as good enough a job as I could have on Tuesday covering as it pertains to how this golf course is going to play a bit of a weather update, um, which is important and, you know, obviously get into 
what I think the winning score will be based on the course conditions. Uh, and then I'm going to give you who I think is going to win and talk through a couple players at the top of the odds board. Talk a bit about um, prices, where I think prices may be going, what I think is a good price, what I think is a bad price on some guys. Basically just do a full breakdown of the betting board because I'm going to give a ton of attention to this tournament as it pertains to DraftKings uh, tomorrow night uh, on my episode with Kobe that I do before every single major. So this, you know, this episode is mainly focused on a little bit about the golf course, a little bit about weather, but mostly about who I think is going to win and mostly about breaking down the betting board. And then we'll do all, we'll save all the DraftKings stuff for with Kobe tomorrow night. Uh, but just to give a little background, just from a 40,000-foot view, talk a little bit about Hoylake, just to get everyone refreshed. Um, this was designed in 1871 by Robert Chambers and George Morris, younger brother of old Tom Morris, for what it's worth. Harry Colt came in and redesigned the course in uh, 1895. Uh, and then the course was largely, largely untouched for about... Over a hundred years before Martin Ebert, uh, a architect who I have a ton of respect for, uh, and has done some work on some other open venues, a lot of fantastic golf courses in England and Scotland. Royal Portrush comes to mind as another one that he did, um, in, my, in my opinion, a very successful remodel of. And I, you know, I guess it remains to be seen the success of the remodeling work that he did with Hoylake, uh, but I'm pretty optimistic in terms of how it's going to play this year, weather dependent. Uh, but Ebert was in charge of the changes. I'll go through a couple of these changes. Um, this golf course is in the, a very small town of Hoylake. Uh, it's about three or so hours away from London. Uh, the town of Hoylake is very small, very small seaside town, about only 5,000 people. Um, and this was a, this doubled as a golf course and a horse racing track. So one thing that I would say right off the bat in terms of what you're going to see on TV at Hoylake, it's a very flat golf course. I mean, this is not a golf course that has a lot of towering sand dunes, you know, like some of the golf courses that we've, that I've played in Ireland, like a Bally Bunyan, which is just this dramatic golf course with towering sand dunes um, or even like a St. George's uh, in the Morikawa year that's set between a ton of sand dunes um, and the topography really characterizes a lot of the course and and certain humps and hollows and bounces that you're going to get are more variable um, because of the topography of the course. Liverpool is a lot more flat it probably has the flattest greens of any course on the open rota. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, there's a give and take with that, right? So what that does mean is that, yes, while Liverpool is maybe the least in- interesting golf course topographically of the courses on the open rota, it also might be the course on the open road that is most exposed to the wind um, because there's no defense there are no trees in sight it's it's right by the coastline 
There are no towering sand dunes to block out certain segues of wind, catching certain regions of the course like we saw at St. George's. Um, If it is blowing heavily, which we'll talk about, I don't think it is going to blow that heavily, which is why I don't think that there there will be total carnage on this golf course, even though um, this golf course has gotten a lot harder since the since Rory's win at, I believe, 17 under in 2014. But, you know, the golf course is incredibly, incredibly exposed to the elements if we get elements, right? So we'll get back, we'll we'll circle back to the weather in a second. But a couple more things on the golf course that I want to touch on. So it's hosted the Open 12 times, like I said, most recently in 2014, won by Rory. Uh, and then previously in 2006, won by Tiger. Rory won at 17 under par tiger won at 18 under. Um, so the past two times, at least it's been one of the easier open courses, um, on the Rota, but they have made a lot of changes to this golf course ahead of the 2023 open. Um, Ebert started this project in 2020. And I think probably the biggest change that most people are going to talk about is, the new 17th hole called little I, um, that 17th hole is replacing what used to be the 15th hole. And that was a little par three, not a little par three, a medium length par three that used to run from east to, from west to east and measured about 160 yards on the scorecard played downwind That hole now got flipped 180 degrees in the other direction. Now it's this, you know, 135 on the scorecard, but depending on when, you know, I've heard players say this could be a gap wedge or this could be a seven iron. Um, So it's now this super short 135 yards, tabletop, elevated, infinity green, really cool, rugged little par three coming down the stretch facing right at the ocean. Uh, It is the closest hole to the beach now on the property and coming down the stretch. This is like the second to last iron shot that you're going to have to hit in this tournament. Um, And now for, you know, what will be the 17th hole in a major championship, you get this incredibly dramatic, short par three uh picture almost like if the 11th at brookline you know the 7th at pebble beach was the second to last hole right it almost has that it's just a really nervy golf shot kind of up there with the 17th at tpc sawgrass where you're kind of thinking about that iron shot all day and it's almost surely going to play a major major factor in the outcome of the tournament you pair that with the 18th hole uh, which is now a 600-yard-plus par 5. And there has been some pretty significant changes to the 18th as well, where the tee was moved back 50 yards and now plays 610 on the scorecard. The tee was also moved back significantly further right, um, while the out-of-bounds toward the right has been moved 20 yards further left. So... What that means is it creates visually the fairway from the tee on 18. I think it's be a really cool hole to watch on television 
the fairway now appears like just a handful of yards wide from the tee. And you have a carry of 240 yards to reach the fairway and dangerous bunkers down the left. So I don't want to be hyperbolic here, uh, especially because I think 16 at Hoy Lake is fine. But 17 and 18 may be the best closing two-hole stretch in terms of range of outcomes and viewing and just pure nerves down the stretch in terms of the types of, you know, a drive on 18 to an incredibly narrow fairway with trouble on both sides, including out of bounds and a short iron shot uh, where distance control is so paramount and you have trouble pretty much on all sides of this green. One of the cooler final two hole stretches I've seen in major championship golf in a really, really long time. Um, I can't think of off the top of my head a cooler two hole finishing stretch in terms of the variance of what could happen, especially on Sunday when guys are getting tight. I mean, you are really to win this golf tournament. If you have a one stroke lead or you're tied at the top, you're going to have to hit two really big boy full swing shots on 17 and 18 to solidify this golf tournament Um, and shots that take a lot of thought, right? Like you're going to probably see guys standing on the 17th tee because of the swirling winds having to make the right decision, right? Execution is one thing, but that's a shot on 17 based on the wind and based on the trajectory and based on distance control where you're really going to have to spend some time thinking about it. Right. And the same thing with 18. If you want to be aggressive, how close do you cut to the out of bounds? Do we see guys hitting iron off the 18th tee? Even the iron shot is, I mean, it's not a, it's not a given that you'll hit the fairway. So do you see guys kind of saying, Oh, well, you know, I might as well hit driver here. I think it depends on what their position is in the tournament. Right. So I'm, I, I'm completely fired up for this closing two-hole stretch at Liverpool. And those are probably the two biggest changes that you're going to hear about is how that finishing stretch has gotten beeped up, beefed up and become much more exciting. Um, I will say the other big thing, there are a number of changes, you know, seven, green, uh, 15, um, 14, 13. Yeah, a couple minor things that I don't really need to spend a ton of time on this podcast talking about. Four, seven. Yeah, mainly four, seven, 13, 17, 18, 13, um, 15. Uh, but the par is going to be changed from a 72 to a 71. So the 10th hole, which was previously a 532 yard par five, is now going to play as like a 515, 515 yard par four. So, you know, no matter what, I think it is, this golf course is a lot harder than the golf course that Rory won at 17 under in 2014. I don't know if we're going to get more challenging weather. I will say that in in 2014, it, it wasn't as firm as it was in 2006. Um, I went back and watched both a lot of that 2006 Tiger open and a lot of that 2014 Rory open 
it was an easier golf course in 2014 than it was in 2006 because it was a little bit softer. Um, I think that it's going to be probably in between 2014 and 2006 in terms of firmness, maybe a little bit closer to 2014 than 2006 in terms of firmness. And, you know, like I said, with the wind, probably a little bit harder than 2014 if the wind conditions hold, probably not as blustery as as 2006. But no matter what, the scoring, there's going to be at least more of a protection of par because you're playing a par 71 now to to a par uh, compared to a par 70 2014. So, you know, you just make that one change on 10 where the hole basically remains unchanged and you just change 10 from a par 5 to a par 4, then Rory's winning this tournament at 13 under par instead of 17 under par. And that would be my prediction of the winning score this week. Uh, honestly, and and I'll use that as a transition to talk about the weather. So as I as I record this on Sunday midday, Sunday late morning, uh, I would not say that I'm seeing weather conditions that are going to produce carnage. Uh, Thursday should see steady wind gusts between 12 and 17 miles from the west. Um, and I'll talk about the westerly versus the easterly wind because that really that really gets into some of the proximity stuff that I was looking at, uh, how I break down this golf course as it relates to what the prevailing wind is going to be. There is not a prevailing wind anymore, and, and Ebert has talked about this. There's not really a prevailing wind at Liverpool. I mean, usually it looks like it was coming from the east in the summer, which is you know, obviously this time of year, tournament week, it looks like it's kind of coming from the West. It could switch on a couple of days. I I did it more so from the West because that is what I am seeing on the wind forecast right now. But again, just more ammo in the tank for us to take a lot of the modeling stuff this week with a grain of salt uh, based on the wind. I mean, I feel very comfortable about where approach shots are going to be coming from if we get the wind that I expect. Um, but if the wind changes, like I said, I played golf in Ireland late last year in you know August, September, and it can change on a dime, right? So everyone's just doing the best that they can um, as it pertains to weather forecast. And I'll talk about my theory on that more so with Kobe and in my Wednesday article as it pertains to how you should approach your strategy with DraftKings this week, how you should approach how to interpret a weather forecast in Scotland um, and how that would pertain to the decisions you make based on stacking in certain wave directions. That's that's all for another podcast. Uh, but I'm seeing pretty steady wins between 12 and 17 miles per hour from the West on Thursday. Players will be able to score in round one. Um, There's going to be enough breeze to prevent a shootout, Um, but 12 to 17 mile per hour winds pretty steady throughout the day. No real advantage from a morning or or afternoon play. Probably the morning guys will shoot a little bit better just because the course will get firmer in the afternoon. 
but the wind is relatively similar in the morning as it is in the afternoon. Friday, uh, pretty similar wind speed and direction, some light rain in the afternoon. Um, like I said, I'll dive far deeper into this in my Wednesday article and, and maybe a little bit as well in my podcast with Kobe tomorrow, but I could see right now a bit of an advantage for the PM AM wave just because they're going to be able to avoid playing in moderate wind and light rain on Friday afternoon. Uh, but that could change again. Uh, and Saturday, I'm kind of concerned from a scoring standpoint about Saturday. Um, it looks really calm. There's barely any breeze in the forecast for Saturday. And the course will be softer due to the rain on Friday afternoon. I, as it looks right now, I think Saturday is going to be the easiest conditions compared to Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. And the RNA better get spicy with their pin positions on moving day. Or I think we could actually see some really low scores. Sunday should provide a bit more of a test. Uh, particularly for the later tee times. The morning players will experience pretty calm conditions, but the leaders on Sunday, and this is awesome, are going to tee off with like 22-mile-per-hour wind gusts and maybe a little bit of rain too. You know, you're going to get some pretty, pretty rough, windy and rainy conditions at around 4 p.m. local time. Um do not be surprised, and this could be applied to the live betting markets, do not be surprised if we see one of the early players post a number on Sunday and while the leaders struggle in far more difficult scoring conditions. So taking all of this into consideration, and like I said, the par got changed um, from 72 to 71, the course got a lot harder. Um, golfers also got better. Technology, yes, has in fact improved even more so in the last decade since Rory's win, even in 2014. And part of me says that there might be a bit of an overcorrection from the RNA based on two pretty easy uh, opens the past two years at St. George's and, um, and St. Andrew's. So the RNA might be looking at this and saying, "Hey, yeah, and it's been a been a couple of years since we've had a uh, a minus five or so winner at our tournament. Maybe we spice up some of these pin positions and remind these guys what Lynx golf is really all about." I could see that, but like I mentioned on the podcast with Bamford, not even totally convinced the RNA cares that much. Right? They're a far less reactive body. Uh, than the USGA, I think the fans give a lot more lenience in terms of the things they get frustrated about at an Open than they do at a US Open. Again, not even really the fans' fault for getting frustrated about low scores at a US Open based on the way that a US Open markets itself to fans. Um, but the Open is not about a, being hard or being easy or a winning score at all. Right, that's not how the open markets itself. It's about history and tradition, 
and a much and getting a taste of a much different style of golf that we see week to week on the PGA tour. Um, so minus 14, I think it's my winning score. You know, you, again, not a ton of upside in predicting winning scores on legs golf courses because of the weather. Uh, but you know, I like to put my balls on the table. I don't really care if I'm wrong. I've done a ton of research on this and I feel pretty comfortable that minus 14 would be where I would go. Maybe say 12 to 15 is my zone. Um, but I'll, I'll ride as it stands Sunday afternoon at minus 14. So let's talk a little bit more about the type of player that I think is best suited for this golf course. Um, and then, you know, I'll run through my model real quick and then we'll talk about, uh, talk about who I think is going to win. So I think the, the biggest thing with Liverpool that I'm most interested to watch this week is what golfers do off the tee. Um, this is a golf course and I talk about this all the time in terms of my frustration. This is something me and Joseph LaMagna harp on a lot. Um, you know, if you listen to the fried egg, I'm sure you hear them talk about the, this a lot as well, but this idea of the consequence of misses, right? And I think that is a lot of the struggle that I have week to week on the PGA tour is that big misses just aren't penalized the way that they used to. And with how big the driver heads are um, and how technology has advanced, you create this situation where on the PGA tour, most weeks out of the year, not every week, but most weeks out of the year, the predominant strategy to win PGA tour tournaments is to hit driver on almost every hole with how much forgiveness these drivers have driver heads have now and, and how accurate these guys and good these guys have become at hitting driver. Um, and an aggressive strategy like that is not going to get you in a lot of trouble at a lot of PGA tour courses, whether that PGA tour course is Torrey Pines or whether that PGA tour courses, you know, the three M open or rocket mortgage, um, even Oak Hill. Right. The the strategy, if I was advising players, is I would tell players to hit driver on on nearly every hole at Oak Hill. Um, and this is for one week out of the year. Um, we're going to get something where I would call into question that strategy. Um, that's not me saying that a driver heavy approach at Liverpool, depending on how firm the turf is, isn't going to work. It may work. And that's why I would say that I'm so fascinated more so than anything that I'm going to follow this week is I just want to watch the club choices that guys like Rory and Rom and Scheffler make on some of these tee shots. Um, because there is out of bounds and real out of bounds, right? You know, we're not talking out of bounds where one or two guys per week are going to per day are going to hit it out of bounds. We're talking some real out of bounds that is pretty dangerously close to like the center of the fairway um, on a lot of holes. And my hope 
is that that causes a larger decision-making uh, matrix on tee shots, and we see a wider variance in terms of what different clubs that guys want to hit, um, and a wider dispersion mark of tee shots on this golf course based on a more variable strategy and a strategy that guys are going to, different guys are going to look at these holes in different ways and decide to do different things, which is something that we see so, so rarely on the PGA tour. Right. And this is one of the reasons I love having Joseph on the podcast. Cause we talk about this a lot where it's like, cause he works with PGA tour pros on strategy. And it's like on a lot of these PGA tour courses, it's like, whether you're the best driver of the ball in the world or you're the 50th best driver of the ball in the world, you're telling these guys to do the same thing, right? Which is hit driver on most holes. And I don't know if that's the case at Royal Liverpool, right? I think I could see somebody who is really accurate with their driver, like a Tom Kim or Brendan Todd. Um, or even a Cantlay, who Cantlay, I, I dug really deep this week into figuring out club choices and who is most accurate with their driver versus who, you know, hits the most fairways with their two irons and stuff. It's not perfect. We're, like I said, we're not totally there with data yet. Um, but Cantlay, Cantlay is really accurate this year with his driver. Um, which is why he's been gaining so many strokes off the tee this year because he's long, but he's not like top 15 in the world long, but he is gaining so many strokes off the tee this year because his driver has been so accurate this year. Um, so I'm going to be curious to see like a guy like Cantlay who one of his biggest weapons and one of the reasons why I really like him this week is because his driver is so accurate. Whereas a guy like Rory, who is an incredible driver of the ball, he's not, but he's not remotely as accurate with his driver as Cantlay is, but he still gains a ton of strokes off the tee with his driver because on PGA Tour courses, you can drive the ball. There's a lot more room for error and you can drive the ball. You can not, you can not hit a lot of fairways on the PGA Tour and still gain a ton of strokes off the tee based on your distance, uh, which is what we see Rory do, whereas Cantlay is a more even split in terms of how he gains strokes off the tee between distance and accuracy. Um, you know, does Rory hit a bunch of two irons, right? Because he isn't as accurate with the driver as Cantlay is, right? Um, and do you see some of these guys that aren't as accurate with their driver club down off the tee and take a more disciplined strategy and lose a little bit of distance? Or do you see some of the guys that are more accurate with a driver get that little extra distance bump because they have a driver in their hands and kind of go for it a little bit more and say to themselves, I'm accurate, more accurate with this club than most players on the PGA tour. So I'm going to hit this club a lot at this golf course and hope for the best. Right. I think there are a lot of different, different things that could happen, which is why strategy off the tee is so interesting to me. A couple quotes from, you know, this was one from Rory in 2014. And like I said, the golf course has only gotten harder and 
kind of more strategic off the tee in terms of a lot of these bunkers were repositioned by Ebert to account for modern driving distances. So Rory said this in 2014, and I even think now it's it's an even more strategic golf course. But he said, I'll use two iron a bit. I'll use it on the first two holes, definitely. I think it will be an important club. I'll probably use the two iron just as much as I'll use the driver. I usually carry a five wood instead of a two iron, but I just think for this terrain and the conditions and the wind, the two iron just goes a little bit lower and there's a bit of a better flight on it, which is obviously better for these conditions. Phil said the same thing in 2014. Yeah, the two iron. I have two clubs that are specific to this tournament. It's a two iron and it's a 64 degree wedge that has very little bounce. I think there will be a few times when I use a driver, but it will be situational on the wind, pin placement, and how I'm feeling at the given moment. And now famously, in 2006, Tiger Woods ditched his five wood for a two iron and played incredibly conservatively off the tee. He took many of the fairway bunkers out of the equation and he hit 85% of his fairways. Tiger only used his driver once the entire tournament, right? Now, it's important to note that I don't, I would be surprised if we see, there are a couple guys at this point that could use that strategy off the tee and still probably hit their five wood, three wood, two iron longer than most players can hit their driver, like a, you know, a Rory or a Cam Young probably may not need to even put driver in their bag this year, and it wouldn't really matter much um, based on how long they are with their layup clubs. Uh, but the the delta, even like you know now, the delta between Tiger Woods's distance and the median average distance on the PGA Tour is still a lot greater in 2006 than it was between. Uh, the delta between Rory McIlroy, who's probably the longest player on tour right now, um, or at least top five, and the average driver of the golf ball, right? Like w- the difference in what we've seen in the last 15 years is that, yes, Rory has gotten a lot longer um, and the top end guys have gotten a lot longer, but the middle of the pack has gotten a lot closer to that too, right? So there's less of a delta from what we saw from Tiger. Tiger's distance advantage in 2006 is greater than Rory's distance advantage in 2023. So I don't know if you're going to see somebody do what Tiger did in 2006, not even use his driver and still gain on the field in distance, right? And 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 be able to hit that two iron longer than some guys were hitting driver. I don't know if we're going to see something like that. Um, but I do think if you are a longer player off the tee, especially if you're like Rory or Rom and you're not the most accurate with the big stick, um, and you could still hit, you, you have a two iron shot or a five wood shot, uh, that, you know, you still have plenty of distance on and you can control a lot more. Uh, that's probably the strategy that I would expect a lot of players to take this week right and I do think that this is a golf course like I said with the consequence of misses where if you're asking me and and I try and answer this question on most weeks when I break down PGA Tour courses if you're asking me whether I would rather have my guys be straight or long 
Um, I would probably say straight this week. Uh, and the answer is usually long on the PGA Tour, right? So I looked a lot closer at guys that were really, really accurate. Um, guys that have performed really, really well on shorter positional club down courses, right? Guys that hit a lot of fairways on firm golf courses with narrow fairways, right? I kind of plugged all of that stuff together in a model, and I'm not going to bore the listeners with this on this podcast. You can reference my um, my Monday article on rickrungood.com to kind of figure out more so how I actually created this, but I kind of created like an off-the-tee aggregate model to just try and identify what players – were the best suited in terms of club selection, strategy that they took off the tee, accuracy with their driver, you know, accuracy with their shorter clubs in terms of, you know, how accurate they are with clubs that they also hit off the tee on narrow courses. And I kind of came to the conclusion that the most trustable players off the tee in terms of accuracy that I probably trust the most um, to navigate their way around one, not a huge shocker. And two, you know, actually I'd say two, three guys jumped out, um, from the pack as like the most truly, truly safest bets to be able to hit a lot of fairways on this course based on what they do off the tee. Um, and based on how accurate they are with kind of all clubs in their bag that they hit off the tee can't lay. Sung Jay and Corey Connors. Uh, Corey Connors doesn't surprise me at all. I think Corey Connors probably one of the, and Morikawa's close to that, right? But those three guys were still ahead of Morikawa. Um, Corey Connors doesn't surprise me a lot. Uh, he's probably thought of as one of the most accurate drivers of the ball in the world. I think Sung Jay, I always knew was a really accurate driver of the ball, but. I actually just, I I really think that he's a good play this week. I don't think he's going to win. No interest in the betting number, but at 8,300 on DraftKings, I'll talk more about that with Kobe. This is a really good golf course for Sung Jay, at least off the tee. And then Cantlay, too. I don't think Cantlay gets enough credit for how good his driving has been this year. Um, He has been, and it's probably been overshadowed by the fact that he doesn't have Rom, Scheffler, or Rory's distance. But, man... Cantlay has been more accurate with that club and hasn't sacrificed insane amounts of distance on those guys. Um, Cantlay is driving the ball so freaking well this year. I can I cannot emphasize how well Cantlay has been driving the ball this year. So, uh, very interested to see how off the tee shakes out. And like I said, to get more into the nitty gritty of how I broke that down statistically, um, imperfectly, I'm sure I should say, because this is definitely a week where I don't think you want to be over-reliant on models. I think you want to use them as a tool. Um, but reference the Monday article for the nitty gritty. I want to get closer to talking about some of the guys on the odds board. The one thing that I'll say about iron play on this golf course, um, and then we'll dive into, we'll, I'll give the top 20 in my model and then we'll talk about who I think is going to win. Um, I, I still think that um, 
you're going to have a lot of mid to long iron approach shots on this golf course. Uh, especially, I mean, I know it's going to be firm. I don't think it's going to be insanely firm like in 2006. Um, but this golf course is pretty long and a lot of the holes that, a lot of the holes that the bunkers kind of got changed on. One of the things that Ebert has talked about a lot is he creates his bunkering for downwind or calm conditions, right? And so a lot of the holes that may be downwind are going to be holes that you're going to have to play less aggressively on and take less than driver off the tee in some cases because of the bunkering. Uh, and then a lot of the holes that play into the wind are just going to play longer. So I don't think that this is as long iron intensive of a golf course as Augusta or Oak Hill or even LACC, but I don't think it's as far behind as people think. I mean, I still wouldn't be surprised if we catch 50% of approach shots, depending on the wind coming from 175 yards and up. So if we're looking at proximity brackets and I, again, I break this down far more in depth in the Monday article in terms of the nitty gritty percentages of this, but is a is more of a mid to long iron course than it is a mid iron course or, or a wedge course. And over the past year, these have been the best mid to long iron players in this field. Rom, Rory, Gary Woodland, Morikawa, Hovland, Tom Hoagie, Davis Riley, Justin Rose, Scotty Scheffler, Xander. Those are the top 10. Um, okay. So I plugged a lot of this stuff into a model. Um, I talked a little bit about the comp courses with Steve. We covered that, right? We talked about this big crossover with the Honda Classic, a pretty big crossover with TPC Sawgrass. Talked about how I like Troon and Muirfield as probably the best two open venue courses in terms of how it relates to what we're going to see this week at Liverpool. And I kind of threw it all together with a lot of accuracy junk off the tee and submit to long iron play and a lot of stuff looking at how players have performed in firm conditions, how players have performed on golf courses where I believe there is a strong consequence of misses. That's why I like Sawgrass and PGA National so much because the character of Sawgrass and PGA National, I know they are Florida Bermuda courses, but in terms of the strategy, in terms of how I would characterize those courses, it is about avoiding hazards, right? Water comes into play on nearly every single hole at TPC Sawgrass and PGA National. And the way that you get around those golf courses and win the players and win the Honda is by avoiding landmines, right? Is how do players perform when they step up to a tee shot and there is water all the way down the right side, right? How do players perform in conditions where the main objective is to stay out of the trouble, right? And there is trouble on pretty much every hole. That is more similar to what we were going to see at Liverpool than, you know, the Oak Hills and the Torrey Pines is of the world, which are pure execution tests, right? These are still execution tests, but the execution is more wrapped up in what your strategy is than just how good are you with your driver? How long are you with your driver? Can you hit a high four iron 
200 yards plus with a baby draw and stop it on a hard green, right? This is more of, yeah, it's an execution test, but it's also about your game plan this week. So I plugged all this into a model and I'll give you my top 20. Some, you know, some surprises, I would say not a ton based on uh, what I was expecting, but here's my top 20. Actually, let's take a quick break first um, and then I'll give you the top 20 in my model and then we'll finish up. uh. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, with my picks to win. All right. So the number one player in, uh, in my model for the Open Championship at Hoylake is John Rahm. Um, number two is Patrick Cantlay. I talked, I talked a lot about how uh, Cantlay's accuracy with the driver. And I, I actually think at 28 to one, I'm not going there uh, this week. You just missed, but I think Cantlay at 28 to one um, is, is a good bet. I really do believe that. And I know people are going to knock his major record, which, you know, he's been there. He's been top 15 and I think six of his last eight majors. And, you know, the difference between, I know he hasn't contended, contended a ton, um, but the difference between showing up and finishing that highlight and really getting yourself in the mix, it's, it's not as much as people think. So I actually think there's a wonderful golf course for Patrick Cantlay. Um, he is number two in my model. Number three is Rory. No surprises there. Um, I think the variance of outcomes with Rory based on the strategy and game plan that he decides to deploy this week is what I am more fascinated to watch than any other player in this tournament. Four is Scotty Scheffler. Five is Xander. Six is Morikawa. Great golf course for Morikawa. Again, the 30-1 to 1 on Morikawa. 
it's a it's one of the better bets you could make this week. Again, I'm not going there, but I, I gave it a long, hard look. Seven is Justin Rose, who I think might win this week. Eight is Tony Finau, who I'm a little bit cooler on. Nine is Hideki, who I like a lot this week. I think Hideki's going to have a really good week. Ten is Shane Lowry. Eleven is Tommy Fleetwood. Twelve is Siwoo Kim, who will be a bet for me. Uh, I'm... I haven't pulled trigger on 150 because I actually think there's a chance that once odds reset, maybe later this afternoon or on Monday, that there might even be 175s or 200 on Siwoo. But I'm betting that no matter what, he is without a doubt my favorite long shot uh, in this entire tournament above 100 to 1 is Siwoo Kim. One of the players, by the way. Uh, 13 is Victor Hovland, who was my pick um, on Tuesday. That has changed. I will not be betting Victor Hovland this week. I still like Victor Hovland a lot this week, um, but he's not my pick to win. 14, Max Homa. 15, Tyrrell Hatton. 16, Corey Connors. We talked about his accuracy off the tee. 17, Tom Kim, who I like a lot, coming off a strong Scottish performance. Um, We talked about his accuracy off the tee. 18, Wyndham Clark, 19, Ricky Fowler, 20, Sung J.M. So, basically how it shook out for me is, um, I guess we should, I guess I'll talk about Rory first, because that's probably the, you know, the guy that I've been thinking about for this tournament, that I think a lot of people were, were thinking about for this tournament for, you know, quite some time, pretty much as soon as they saw Liverpool on the schedule. And now he's coming off a win at the Scottish Open where he gained over five strokes off the tee, five on approach. Um, the ball striking remained awesome throughout the week for Rory. Uh, the putter really started to get going for him on Sunday too. Um, he's now gained over five strokes off the tee in three of his last four starts. He has his driver on a string right now. I hope that because of how well he's driving the ball, that doesn't cause him to still hit driver too much on this golf course because he doesn't need to. And he's gained over five strokes on approach in three straight starts. Um, So he is hitting his long, his mid to long irons beautifully right now. This is actually one of the best ball striking runs of Rory's entire career. This is some of the best golf that he's played entering a major in his entire career from a ball striking standpoint. He's now got six top tens in a row coming off a win on a Lynx golf course in 14 starts this year. He's got nine top tens, two wins now, two runners up. So he hasn't, been as good as Scheffler has this season. Um, But if Scheffler wasn't having a historic season, we would be talking far more about the insane run that Rory is on this season from a ball striking perspective. And I think if I'm solidifying why I'm giving this slight edge to Scheffler still, and I'll talk about Scheffler as soon as we wrap up Rory because that's 
that's my bet. That's that's who I'm going with. Scheffler at nine to one this week. Um, it's purely the number. Uh, I think the difference between Rory at plus six fifty and Scheffler at nine to one is that I can bet somebody like Rose in the forties or fifties too. Uh, and I actually really think that Rose is going to contend. Um, and I think it's a coin flip between Scheffler and Rory. I thought that before the Scottish open, um, after watching both of them at the Scottish open, they both pretty much hit the ball the same, the same way. And, and Rory just putted a little bit better than Scheffler. Um, they actually, their ball striking numbers at the Scottish were like nearly identical. Um, they both gained around 11 strokes ball striking at the Scottish, Rory just gained a few more strokes around the green and putting, and that's why he beat Scheffler by four strokes. That was, that was the difference. Um, and again, I feel no better or worse that Rory won the Scottish open versus him finishing second. Um, I don't think that's as correlated as people think Phil Mickelson won the 2013 Open at Muirfield after winning the Scottish Open. Um, the fact that he won, I, you know, I don't particularly feel that he blew his load a week too early. I think that this gave him even more confidence. I probably, if you're making me choose, um, I, will, I like that he saw the ball go through the hoop before this week, right? Like if it was another playoff loss for Rory, uh, versus a win, making a final putt to win a golf tournament, um, not backing into it, right? Shooting an awesome score on the back nine to go win a golf tournament. I I personally like that more so for Rory's chances and his confidence than I do if he played really great and finished second or third. Um. But I do think the reason why I'm not biting on Rory at now, you know, maybe you can get some sevens to ones. I think market's going to be plus 650 on Rory. Um, But I think that there's a universe that you have to factor in with Rory. And to bet somebody at six or seven to one, I'm basically, it's a single bullet and I'm almost going to be overexposed for for what I like to do. Um, if you go to the one to seven ish ratio, which I like to, um, I have to just be so, so sure on it. Um, and I still do think that there's a universe with Rory where he plays undisciplined golf this week. I think it's possible. Um, and had I not liked his shot selection more at LACC, I really did like his game plan at LACC, then I would actually veer closer to the side of it being more likely that Rory loses this tournament because of his shot selection. I, I, I will say after watching his game plan at LACC, I feel more confident in his discipline. Um, and after listening to some of his recent quotes about how he went back and looked at some of his wins in the early 2010s, and he was surprised at how many two irons he hit off the tee, like inject that that is the Rory that I want to see this week that's the Rory that wins this golf tournament but I still think there is a universe that I could see 
based on who I know Rory to be, and I watch this guy closer than I watch any other golfer on the PGA Tour, where he makes some bad decisions on this golf course off the tee. And I don't have, on the contrary, I don't have any concerns about Scotty Scheffler's game plan. Scotty Scheffler has a better caddy than Rory. He is a more involved caddy than Rory. Um, and like I said, there's still a universe where Rory doesn't have that strong voice in his ear, that strong second opinion to talk through a decision. And I think that is more important in this tournament than on any other tournament of the season. And I just think that Scheffler is a safer bet to have a more well-thought-out game plan this week and not deviate from that game plan in a tight spot. I don't question at all how well-prepared Rory will be for this tournament. I question if he's going to deviate from everything that he did the first three days to get himself in the position to win the golf tournament um, and then deviate from that because he's in a tight spot with the tournament on the line. Like I saw him do on some of the tee shots at St. Andrews on Sunday where he tried to get too cute and put too much curve on the ball. Um, like he did on the second hole at Oak Hill on Sunday after making a birdie on one and getting in striking distance. Like he did on, on 13 at LACC um, on Sunday where he actually got too conservative there when the opening was there for him to take it. Um, and that Rory not always being the best judge of when to be aggressive versus when to be conservative and always seemingly down the stretch in a major, maybe being a little too conservative when it calls for an aggressive shot and maybe being a little bit too aggressive when it calls for a more conservative shot. I think that could be the difference on um, in this tournament for him winning and, and coming in, you know, the top five. He'll be there. He's too good right now not to be. Um, but I think if you're taking that into consideration and because I think right now in terms of how they're playing – and in terms of course fit, I think it's it's a coin flip between Scheffler and Rory. And the fact that the Rory, uh, the Scheffler Ted Scott relationship, it doesn't matter whether it's the first hole on Thursday or the 18th hole on Sunday. I trust that that pairing is going to make a plus EV decision. Whether they execute the shot or not is a different question. Um, but I think that Scheffler optimizes his performance and gets more out of his game plan on a week-to-week basis than Rory does. Rory's just as talented, probably de- definitely more talented than Scheffler at, at golf, just from a 40,000-foot view. But I think that Scheffler gets more out of his game plan on a week-to-week basis um, from a decision-making ball striking standpoint he's a worse putter than Rory right now um but from a game plan strategy and how that pertains to the decisions that you make off the tee and on approach um you combine that with the difference of their betting numbers and that's enough of a tipping point 
for me to lean in the Scheffler direction. And I just think it's a good number. Um, I think after winning the Scottish, I, I talked about how on the Tuesday podcast, I was surprised that Scheffler was the fit, uh, that Rory was the favorite over Scheffler. I understand now after Rory winning the Scottish, you know, you Rory's probably, I guess they, I'd probably put them, if I was making the odds, I'd still put them at, at equal, um, which would be a much more difficult decision for me. Um, it, it's, I'm really making the decision because of that difference in, in nine to one versus plus six fifty and how I, if I go the Scheffler route, I could fit in another guy in the forties or fifties. Um, but Scheffler, you know, 4.4 off the tee, 6.6 on approach, finishes third at the Scottish Open. Um, the ball striking remained awesome throughout the week. Once again, it was only the putter that held him back. The off the tee and approach got better for him in both categories. Um, and Scheffler's now gained over two strokes off the tee in 14 straight starts. Um, he is the best driver of the ball in the world, I think, when you combine accuracy with it. Um, because he's better than he's, he's more accurate of it. He's more accurate with a driver than Rom and Rory. Um, and he's the best, best iron player by like a pretty healthy margin. Um, he is a way better iron player than Morikawa right now. Uh, Scheffler is in my opinion, he's now gained over two strokes on approach in 10 straight starts. And he's now gained over six strokes on approach in five straight starts. He's been the best iron player in the world by a, you know, a healthy margin, the best ball striker, the best tee to green player in the world by a healthy margin. Um, he's now gained over seven strokes, ball striking in 14 straight starts. That's a ball striking run that I can now comfortably say, I don't know if that's ever going to happen again. This is the best ball striking run in the strokes gained era. It's better than anything Tiger's ever done that we have data on. Scheffler's now finished top 12 in 16 straight starts. I'm not sure that's ever been done before. I didn't go back and look at like Jack Nicholas and Ben Hogan, um, but Tiger's never done that. Tiger's never displayed that level of consistency. Scheffler's finished top five, seven straight starts. That hasn't been done in years. So to me, it's really going to feel like a crime if Scheffler finishes the year without a major. I mean, I really do believe that. This is the right, the right outcome of this tournament is either Rory or Scotty Scheffler winning. <laughs> um, Rory more for the, this is such a, romantic and wonderful spot for him to break the major drought with the symmetry between Liverpool and now and Scheffler is just having one of the greatest seasons that we've ever seen in golf and um it just feels like he should have a major with it um and like I said to me it's pretty pretty fucking close between Rory and Scheffler I mean I've toiled I've toiled over this one and Rom is a whole different discussion that I want to talk more probably about in on the DraftKings pod with Kobe um just because I don't want this one to run too long but like I said Rom was 
Rom was the number one guy in the model. I'm I'm not betting him this week, but I I don't want to shortchange him, and I have a lot of thoughts on him as well. Um, but with Rory winning the Scottish, um, and now getting potentially closer at most places to six to one, I think Scheffler's the only bet you can make. Um, the only reason I haven't bet the nine yet is because I'm curious if maybe there's one book that drops Rory to, to six and Scheffler to 10, but nine is a good number on Scheffler. Um, nine on Scheffler is a way better number than six on Rory. It's a better number than any of the guys that I like in the twenties. You know, I gave Ricky a cup of coffee this week. Um, I, I like Ricky this week. I, I think Ricky, Ricky and Fleetwood and Hatton all really make sense to me this week. Um, I genuinely think that one of those three guys, um, Fowler, Fleetwood, or Hatton is going to be really relevant in this golf tournament on Sunday. They're, they're worse. They are bad numbers compared to the Scheffler nine. Scheffler nine is a better number than Fowler or Fleetwood or Hatton 22. It just is. Um, the only number that I think is as good as the nine on Scheffler is the 28s on Cantlay. And I think I'd rather just ride with Scheffler and Rose than Fleetwood and Cantlay or Fowler and Cantlay or Cantlay or Hatton. I'd just rather have Scheffler and Rose in my arsenal than Cantlay and one of those other guys in the 20s that I like or be overexposed on Rory. I'd rather do the Scheffler-Rose than than either of those outcomes um, and lose the opportunity to fit Rose in there too, who I actually think does have an incredible chance to win this week as well. Um, let's do it. I want to touch on Rose really quickly too, because I, I'm, I'm pretty damn high on him this week. Um, and then we'll get out of here. But, um, you know, he's had a pretty up and down history in open championships. It, he's had a lot of success. Um, he was, bad for a while in opens and kind of figured it out again. He was runner up at Carnoustie in 2018. He did play Liverpool in 2014 and finished top 25. Um, 19 opens, 14 made cuts, nine top 25s, three top 10s, two top fives. I would say he's been a good, not great open player. Um, but he is a rock solid mid to long iron player. One of the best in this entire field. And a really accurate driver of the golf ball. A really good putter on slow greens. One of the absolute best bunker players in this entire field. Um, really good on firm golf courses. Uh, 22nd at Troon in 2016 as well. Really good, pr- pretty good record at Sawgrass as well. Top 10s in two of his last three appearances at the players. Finished six at the players this year. Um, Five top 15s and three top fives at the Honda Classic as well. So you want to look at these golf courses where it's kind of about avoiding landmines off the tee and decision-making and shot selection and keeping the ball in the fairway at all costs. Rose has been 
Rose is up there, man. I mean, Fleetwood, Fleetwood and Fowler are both guys that have that same Liverpool Honda Classic, um, TPC Sawgrass resume where they just it feels like when the name of the game is keeping the ball in play off the tee and not biting off more than you can chew. You want those guys in your corner, and that's why I, I do like Fleetwood and Fowler. I just, you know, if one of those guys was 30, I'd bite on them. They're not going to be, even with Ricky's slow Sunday. Um, I just, the way my numbers have it with Rose being top seven in my model and coming off a miscut that, you know, I don't care too much about. He still gained strokes on approach at the Scottish Open. Um, prior to that, he hit the ball incredibly well at the Belfry. Uh, I just think if, you know, there'll probably be a 50 this week on Rose coming off the miscut. Um, and I can even fit a 45, or uh, which I have available to me right now with Scheffler. Um but he checks all the boxes, man, for May Rose in terms of a mid-tier guy that presents the most value. He actually won the, um, which I can't recommend this enough, the Dave Tyndall trends piece that he puts out for every major where he basically kind of eliminate, or he doesn't really eliminate players. He does a point system this time, but he kind of goes through the entire field and looks at all of the last 10-year trends and kind of finds out who's the last man standing that checks all the boxes. It's Rose. Um, I'm not going to go through all the, I took a lot of notes on some, some of the trend stuff too. Again, that's in my Monday article. Uh, but he's the guy for me uh, in the forties and fifties uh, that I think could win. He's a good enough player to, to finish his career with two majors. I actually think if I was sitting the over under for Rose based on the career he's had at majors, I'd probably go 1.5. One doesn't feel wrong. Two doesn't feel wrong either, right? Like he's probably a 1.5 major type guy. He's had a lot of runner ups in majors and a really great 20 year career where he's a Hall of Famer already, but it doesn't feel wrong if Rose ends the day as a two-major guy. He probably he probably should, right? Like, again, if you're asking 1.5 over or under on Rose majors in his career, probably say he's a two-major guy. Um, I really do believe that. And I, I just love the way that this course sets up for him based on the way that he's hitting his irons and his ability to drive the ball in play and the success that he's had on firm strategic golf courses with big consequence of misses. Um, so, you know, those are the guys for me. Um, it, my card will be, uh, Scheffler, Rose, C. Um, I'll talk more about C. with Kobe and, and talk a lot more about some, some guys I really like in the, uh, in the low seven K range. And, um, there's a guy I really like in the 5,000 range on DraftKings. Um, but Rory Scheffler, um, Rom, maybe more so for DraftKings. Um, I, I think Scheffler's the bet of those guys. I really do. Um, now, if you start to see a 16 pop up on wrong, I may regret that. Um, 
But again, if you're asking me Rory 7, Scheffler 9, Rom 11, I'm rocking with Scheffler. And if there's one bet to make in the in the in the twenties, it's Cantley at twenty eight. Um, I like Fowler and Fleetwood, um, but Cantley at twenty eight is a better number than Fowler and Fleetwood at twenty two. Um, and uh, who else? Who are a few names that I think are going to surprise people this week? Hideki's going to play well this week. Again, that's more so for DraftKings. Sung Jay's going to play well this week. It's more so for DraftKings. Neiman's going to play well this week, more so for DraftKings. Uh, Chris Kirk's going to play well this week, more so for DraftKings. Um, but that will do it. So there you have it. Scheffler is um, Scheffler's my open championship, my championship winner. Um, I would love for it to be Rory, but Scheffler's the better bet. And um, can't do this with your heart. If, uh, if you want to make money and I just think that Scheffler is the better bet as much as I would prefer to see Rory win than Scheffler, um, Scheffler at nine is a good number. Um, and I think he's going to win this week. So, uh, you can find me, uh, I will be back on this podcast feed on Tuesday morning with Kobe DuBose, uh, going on tapping birdie on Tuesday uh, evening with, Brian Kirscher, my article will be up on rickrungood.com Monday morning. Um, final DraftKings thoughts on Wednesday. Uh, Golf Monthly article, Odds Checker Monday. Golf Digest picks Wednesday. Um, you can find me anywhere. Twitter, ADP Lack Sports. I'll have a lot of stuff coming out. And as always, if this breakdown helped you at all, I don't ask for this much. Um, I do not give away money. Or, or do drawings. I, I, I like to do it a little bit more organically. Um, but on four weeks of the year, if you have the ability to help me out and share the show and tell a friend, um, means a lot more than, you know, on these four weeks of the year. Um, because I put a lot of, a lot of effort into these, a lot of effort into continuing to make this podcast free. And, um, I probably do the worst job of any of these people that do stuff like this in terms of, uh, my marketing, in terms of the effort that I, uh, put into it. I, you know, I've always gone the word of mouth route, um, with this, but on the final major of the year where it's going to, going to be a lot quieter for me in the upcoming months in terms of the the traffic that this podcast is generating. Maybe not. We got some fun stuff planned, but um, I know what these majors look like. Um, and I, I don't think that I talked about this a little bit with John on a recent podcast to me, it's felt, and it's probably because of the live PGA tour schism right now. Um, but to me, it's felt, I've never felt in a year more so that majors mattered more and everything else mattered less. Um, so this is a big week for me. Um, hopefully a big week for you in terms of what you're putting in and what you're consuming and your excitement level. Um, like I said, you can reach me for any questions in that Rick run good discord. Um, and we will be back on this podcast feed with Kobe probably late Monday night, Tuesday morning. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.